Let's pray together. Father God, as we come to this part of your word, we pray that you might, by your spirit, help me to speak and preach it clearly and with faithfulness, integrity. May I say what's helpful. And Lord, what brings glory to your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you'd work in all of our hearts. Help us to give our full attention, to not be distracted by other things or sleepy. Lord, we pray that you might help us to hear and respond with obedience and with an appropriate way to who you are and all you've done for us, especially in the gospel. So work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Please have your Bibles open at Psalm 145. Today we finish our series in the Psalms. Next week, Neil will be back and he'll be starting a 12-week series on the Christian God as we move through this Nicene Creed. Our psalm series was entitled, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, from Psalm 103. I hope it has blessed you, your soul. I hope it's enriched your faith as we've thought about who God is, the God who redeems and forgives sin, who the God who rescues and shepherds, the God who's with us in the darkness and in our suffering. And today we come full circle and we think again about the many reasons we have to praise the Lord. Today I hope we can sit back and marvel and wonder at who God is, his greatness and his goodness. And maybe when you think about praising the Lord, maybe you actually think, what can I pray God, praise God for? Because nothing comes to mind. Or maybe in your prayers you're so focused on what you feel you need. Or maybe you're just so overwhelmed that praise is hard. But brothers and sisters, praise can be like a gate, a gate that leads us out of the dark path and down a brighter road. Many suffering believers have testified, even to me, that considering why the Lord why they can praise the Lord, considering why they can praise him. It's helped them to get a a different perspective on their circumstances. It's helped them to remember the Lord and his promises. And so I hope and pray that each one of us will leave today with new reasons to praise the Lord and a new desire, renewed desire to do so. Psalms 145 to 150 are a closing doxology of the book of Psalms. In theological jargon, that just means they're songs that are giving glory to God. They're like a fireworks display of praise. Psalm 145 is the last psalm of David. And it's like a reservoir that's full of different words for praising God. Look at verse 1. I exalt you, my God, the King. I bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The psalm has many words for praising God and so many reasons to praise him. It's been called an alphabet of praise because each verse in the original Hebrew begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet like Psalm 34 did. It's wonderfully written. Come back to verse 1 though. Exalt means to raise up, raise up in priority or esteem. King David wants to lift up God's name, his God, who is the king, 
And he says he wants to praise or bless God's name forever and ever. His desire and his commitment is to extol or or boast in God day after day and never stop. He really wants to praise God forever for who God is and what he has done. And David is saying he would find joy and satisfaction if he can keep on doing that for the rest of his life. Challenging. Praising God, a desire to praise God, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful sentiment. But if we're going to understand why and find that same motivation, why David wants to keep on praising God, we need to read further. For it's all that David goes on to say, all all that he goes on to say that gives his reasons for his praise. And the first reason to praise God the king is for God's greatness. Verse 3, the Lord is great and highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Or more literally, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Hope you get the message. David's God, who is our God, is great and awesome and powerful and incomparable. His sovereignty, his wisdom, his knowledge, his holiness, they are unsearchable. That means they're beyond our comprehension. And God's being, who God is in himself, he is so infinite and great that no finite mind, no human being in all the world can grasp and understand that, can truly understand God. And God's greatness, it is expressed and displayed in great deeds. Look at verses 4 to 6. These verses describe God's deeds in multiple ways, don't they? We read of God's work and his mighty acts and his wondrous work and his powerful, awe-inspiring acts. What was David thinking of here when he said this? Maybe he was thinking of God's marvellous creation. A guy called Matt was in the car with his three teenage kids. He says, we came around the corner of a mountain curve and I was floored. Oh my goodness, look at that sunset. We curve again out of glory's view. Can't see the sunset anymore. And he says, hey guys, my goodness, did you see that? I look in the rearview mirror, the kid's in the back seat, and there's crickets in the sense that there's silence. Every face is illuminated by a smartphone. Every ear is plugged by headphones or earbuds. Matt goes on to say, perhaps the worst effect of the fall is that we've lost our ability to focus on God and his world. We tinker with everything and we behold nothing. We skim beauty like it's something in an Instagram feed. We must behold the glory of God in creation and linger and really look because it shows us something of the artist, the greatness of the artist. And it moves us to praise. 
Maybe in Psalm 145, David was thinking of God's great acts in creation. Or maybe he's thinking of God's salvation. God's saving his people, his chosen people, Israel, from Egyptian slavery slavery with ten great plagues. Maybe he's thinking of God parting the waters of the Red Sea so that people can walk through on dry ground. God preserving his people in the deserts with manna from heaven every day, water from a rock. Maybe he's thinking of God bringing down the walls, the city of Jericho in Joshua 6 and bringing his people into the promised land. Maybe David recalled God leading him in victory over his enemies time after time until in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. God's great deeds. No doubt many answers to prayer, things to praise God for. But more than all of this, when we think about God's great deeds, 3,000 years later, we remember, I hope we remember, God coming to earth in Jesus. We remember the Son of God born as a baby. We remember him who calmed the storm with a word. As we just sung, who cast out demons with a word, who raised Lazarus from the dead with a word. The one who died for sinners and came back from the dead. The resurrection of Christ and the life everlasting that we have because of him is truly a wonderful work. And whatever's going on in our lives, we can remember and praise God for that. Most of us, I think, are controlled by the immediacy of the presence. Our schedules are busy. Life feels full Sometimes we feel we've got little time to eat and breathe, let alone do other things, much less remember. But if we desire to live a life of praise in the presence of God, in the presence of the divine king, then we must remember. Our history, both our individual histories and as a community of faith, our histories are marked by moments that remind us that God is still at work. And David is calling us to the task of remembering those moments, not remembering the good old days with a desire to go back there. No, rather we recall the moments so that we will remember the faithfulness of the God we serve and lean into the future, be willing to move forward trusting him. And we remember those moments so we can be reminded of our hope in our moments of weakness and powerlessness, when we feel fear or dread, when it seems as though the powers of the world hold sway, we remember and confess that God is king. The one enthroned in the heavens has the power to act. And in our moments of brokenness and waywardness, we're feeling apathy or disillusionment, or when we've forgotten who we are. We're not sure of who we are. The compassionate God, who is fiercely loyal, steps toward us in love, 
came to us in Jesus, he meets us in our need. Remember what God has done. And as David reflected on God's great deeds, look at what he says would happen in verse 4. One generation will declare your works to the next. But declare means, more means to praise and, and commend. So it's not just telling a story in such a way the other person will fall asleep. No, it's, it's celebrating, it's joyfully singing, it's gladly telling all that God has done. And so if you're a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, if you're a parent, you've been entrusted with this task, proclaiming gladly the great things God has done in your life, in your past for you and for all of his people throughout history. We can say with confident faith and joy that God made me. He saved me in Jesus. He's given us his spirit. He's with us. He's working in us. God has done great things. And so when you think about it, doesn't it make you want to praise God in response and commend God to others? I ask, do younger children, younger people and children, do they ever see you celebrate what God has done? Do they see that when you're in this room? Do they see it when you see them elsewhere? Is it seen on your face? And do others ever hear you declare God's greatness, whether they're believers or not? The next reason to praise God is his goodness to all. Look at verse 7. It speaks of a generation, each generation giving a testimony of God's great goodness. God himself is the very definition of what is good and right and true. God defines what is good. And verse 9, we're told the Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made And that's the theme of verses 14 to 17 as well. In verse 15, we're told he gives creatures their food at the proper time or in due time. God feeds the animals. God gives food to people. He's a king who gives. It's just what the Apostle Paul said to the Turkish unbelieving Gentiles. In Acts chapter 14, he said, we're proclaiming the good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. In past generations, God allowed all nations to go their own way, though he did not leave himself without a witness since he did what is good, giving people what? Rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling you with food and giving your hearts joy. James chapter 1 says that every good and perfect gift we have comes from our Father. You may say to me, Clint, there are animals and people though who starve to death. They miss out on basic necessities. Or maybe you or your friend ask in a world with natural disasters where people have to drink dirty water, where there's floods and famines and fires. How can God be good if he lets such things happen? 
Maybe we can highlight that these came into the world when people rejected the good God who made us. Maybe we do well to remember Psalm 145 verse 14, that God cares about those who fall down and are oppressed or are bowed down, that means. And actually God wants us to care about them too. Maybe we can highlight that verse 15 and 16 are not meant to be, they're not intended to be an absolute statement that is true for every single creature or person that's ever lived. Yes, people and animals die of starvation. I suggest that us people not sharing what we have is a big problem in that. We should all remember that the great majority of us have food and many desires met. We should ask, if, you, if you've been asked this question by a person, maybe you could ask them, do you? Do I have food on the table? Do I have money to pay my heating bill? A roof over our heads, clothes, clean water, a school or job to go to, or gov- government benefits that you receive? Do you have a body that recovers from many sickness, many a sickness and illness? Do we have access to quality medical care in our country? Who do you think gives us all of these? Don't Aussies ignore the God who gives them all their good gifts? So I encourage people to consider their response to the God who's been good to them and not ignore him. We should thank God for the many good gifts he gives us. Let's praise our great provider. Yes, there may be things you lack. Maybe you're going without the food you want, without a loved one. Maybe you're without work or a caring friend. Maybe you're going without health or strength and that's really hard. And yet we can so quickly forget all that we do have. We always have reasons to praise the Lord. And one particularly marvellous thing that Christians have is a place in God's kingdom. Our next point. In verses 10 to 11, it speaks of God's people, that they're the faithful ones, those who are faithful, the saints. speaks of them, us, telling of the glory of God's kingdom, which is everlasting, we're told in verse 13. God's kingdom refers to his royal power, his rule. It's about God's people in God's place, under God's rule, and experiencing his blessing. God is the king of creation, but only some people have submitted to his rule. God's people living in God's place under his rule, and it began to be fulfilled even in the time of David as they lived under him, God's appointed king, in the land of Israel. And yet because of sin and death, it was never perfect, and it was never going to last forever. However, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God said to David, who wrote our psalm, when your days are over, you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
the offspring of King David, more than Solomon, his son. More than Solomon, this offspring, this man from David's line who will live forever and rule forever, have a kingdom forever, it is Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus declared at the start of his public ministry that the kingdom of God has come near. That's because he had come. King had arrived. When he entered Jerusalem the week before his death, entered riding on a donkey, but he was praised by people as king. And when he comes again to judge the world and everyone in it, everyone will know that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is king. He won the victory over sin and death by his death and resurrection and exaltation. He is the king. His kingdom will rule and endure. His rule will endure forever. His kingdom will endure forever. And God's kingdom, it's here and it's actually growing now in the hearts and lives of his people. All who've turned to Christ in faith and live under his rule. And so God has and he will, he promises, he will draw people from every nation and every language on earth to join Christ's great and glorious kingdom. He died and rose again so that we could be members of, have a place in God's kingdom, so we could be blessed by living under God's rule, his good and righteous rule. And the Lord's Supper that we're going to celebrate shortly reminds us that all these blessings have come because of our King's crucifixion. One day, when Christ the King returns to judge all people and renew all things, he will bring the kingdom fully. He will bring the new heavens and earth where God's people will live in God's presence, in God's perfect place, under God's rule, with no more death, suffering, sin, separation. And there in the fully realized perfect kingdom to come, we will praise God forever. And no kids, you won't even get bored. You won't get bored in heaven. And if we have a relationship with Christ the King by faith, then God wants us to do, verse 11, to speak of the glory of your kingdom and declare your might. Why? Why declare and speak of the greatness and the goodness of being saved by King Jesus? Why would we tell of God's greatness in raising his son from the dead? Verse 12, so that all people may know God's mighty acts and glorious kingdom. And that means so that all people may be saved as they come under his rule too. God wants us to speak of Christ so that others can come to know of his greatness, his glory, and become members of his kingdom. And because God is compassionate and slow to anger, verse 8, he's giving people everywhere time to repent. 
He's giving your friends and your family, your work colleagues, kids. He's giving you time to talk with your non-Christian friends that you might see these school holidays. Time to repent. Turn to Jesus, trusting in him, that means. And so I ask, who might you see in the next week or two who you could speak to about Jesus' goodness or his greatness? Maybe you're having lunch with someone and you could ask, would it be okay if I told you how I became a Christian and why I'm a Christian? Something else that we can tell others and praise God for is the grace that God shows his people. Our final brief point. The Lord is good to all he has made, but being one of God's saved people, it's far better. It's way better. Verse 8 told us that God is gracious. And the word grace isn't mentioned in verses 18 to 20, but God's grace, his undeserved kindness, it's behind all of the things that we read there, verses 18 to 20. David speaks about those who call out to God with integrity. That's those who call out to God in truth and and with faith. And they're the same people who in verse 19 fear him, the same people who in verse 20 love him. And this describes people who've turned to God in repentance and faith. People who've trusted in the mighty Saviour, Jesus. God loves his saved people deeply. And we see that, say, in verse 18, that the Lord is near to all who call on him. When you're suffering, the Lord hears and is near. And if you've called on the Lord, you will be heard And you will be saved if you're calling on him to save you, asking for Jesus to save you. Romans chapter 10 promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. You can bank your life on that. He hears your cry. He saves you. Maybe you need to do that today. God's people will not be destroyed with the wicked on judgment day as verse 20 speaks of. They, you, we will be saved if Jesus is our saviour and our king. And until that judgment day, until then, we, you have the Lord with you all the days of your life. You will, he'll never leave you. Verse 19 speaks of God fulfilling his people's desires and it's not all now, yes. But Jesus promises in John 10 verse 10 that he gives people life to the full, life abundantly. So it's not all now. It will be fully and perfectly in the life to come, but it's still real now. We still have meaning and purpose and hope and joy and peace. Assurance of heaven. And in this life, we're told in this psalm, God will guard you, preserve you. Doesn't mean you'll never suffer. It is saying God protects his people to keep you trusting in him to the end. The Lord gives us so many good things that we don't deserve. And that's all because verse 8, Lord is gracious 
and compassionate, slow to anger, and great in his faithful love. Some of us heard last Wednesday night at the winter teaching that the word faithful or steadfast love, if a Hebrew or Jewish person heard that, it would push all their buttons. The point is God's love for us is covenant-keeping, promise-keeping, sure. God loves you, Christian. And that's why, as verse 20 says, can and should love him. So I ask, do you love your Lord, your Saviour? Brothers and sisters, don't we have many reasons to praise God? True story. Steve struggled with depression. His friend Ed thought a dose of positive thinking would help, help Steve out of his depression. So he tried to convince Steve that there really were some good things in his life. He still had a job. He had friends. He had basic needs met. He had abilities and more. It all sounded good and Ed thought he was encouraging Steve. But it didn't take long for Ed to hear that to Steve, those words sounded like blah, 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 Steve, blah, 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 blah. Ed apologized for his lame attempts to help his friend look on the bright side. But Ed journeyed with Steve and they looked at just one psalm together. And counsellor Ed Welch says the praise of the psalms could discourage a depressed person as one thinks that that enthusiasm is hard to match. But don't despair. To move from the depths to hope And praise takes time and practice. But in remembering what was true, Steve made progress. Through the Psalms, Ed helped his friend Steve to praise the Lord. Maybe there's someone that God wants you to help as you read the Psalms together too. In verse 21, David concludes by calling himself all creatures, all people to lift up praise to God for nothing less than everyone in all the earth praising God is sufficient. Because of God's greatness and his goodness and his grace, we have reasons to praise the Lord. And so I hope that you will leave today. I hope that you will start this week, begin every week, saying, I exalt you, my God, the King. Telling yourself, bless the Lord, O my soul. Don't forget all of his benefits. Forget not all of his benefits. Let's pray together now that we won't. Father God, thank you for our journey this series through the book of Psalms. Ten Psalms we've looked at that have helped us to see more of who you are. And all you've done for us in response, despite us being sinners, despite us being people who know suffering, some more than others, Lord, you are faithful, you are gracious, you are compassionate, your love for us is great and steadfast.
Lord, we who've been saved by King Jesus, we have even more and many reasons to praise the Lord. And Lord, we pray that you might help us to not be forgetful, but to be people who remember. Lord, we pray for any who are listening now who are, have not turned to Jesus the King for salvation, that they would, that they might be saved from the just judgment to come on that last day. And Father, we pray that you might make us a more thankful people. You might stir our hearts to praise, even through tears, even when life is hard. So Lord God, we pray that you might move in us, work in us. You might make us more grateful for all the blessings, especially that we have in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.